0: This podcast is for adults 21 years of age or older. We talk about cannabis history and advertise cannabis products. If you're not 21, come back when you are. Happy 420, Bean! Happy 420,
1: Abdullah! Happy 420, everybody in the great moments in weed history universe!
0: Yeah, it is a little bit of a strange 420. Of course, instead of being together and sharing joints... We're all sitting at home in isolation. But you know what? That doesn't mean we can't have an amazing time. If you heard part one of this two-part episode, then this should be no surprise. It's a little bit different than our usual great moments in weed history stuff. But I really loved part one. Bean, did you have a good time? Oh, man, I loved recording this episode, sharing
1: our separate weed memories, our joint weed memories, and joints. And joints. Yeah, remember sharing joints? And uh, you even helped me remember a few of my own memories. So (laughs) (laughs) what's more fun than that?
0: Yeah, seriously, you know, Great Moments in Weed History is pretty much just our normal conversations recorded But for this special, for this two-parter, it was truly just us hanging out, getting high like we actually do all the time, and it was really something special. I'm glad we got to share it, and I'm glad we get to share it with all of our listeners. So guys, if you're sitting at home and it's 420, just roll one up, kick back, relax, and enjoy this fun, kind of crazy episode, part two of our two-part 420 special. Spoke media. All right, and we are back with our 420 special where Bean and I are just going over some of our great personal moments in weed history and. We're getting ready for another set. I'm going to roll another joint right now, Bean. Yeah, we got to get through 420 joints.
1: I (laughs) I just charted it, and we're like a little off pace. (laughs) So we have to redouble our efforts.
0: Yeah, we're just going to have to tell like another uh, 210 stories, you know, and we'll be almost all the way there. Uh, But yeah, so when we left off, we were talking about some of our joint moments. No whoa, pun whoa, Was whoa, whoa, that a weed pun? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it was there was no pun there. We detected a pun. You were wrong.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry, that was my pun detector. <laughs> Let me just turn it off. I should have turned it off before we started. <laughs> boo,
0: boo, boo. But yeah, so uh, you know, we were talking about some of our shared moments in weed history. So yeah, I would love to hear one that I've never heard before. Do you want to get us started on that? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with like. Really, from
1: all my years reporting, uh, the celebrity encounter that to me rose to great moment in my personal weed history. Ooh. Now, working at high times at different events and stuff. I was never the celebrity guy in terms of like my reporting or even just being somebody who gets like super gassed about the fact that, but it's like, whoa, that's fucking Tommy Chung. I just smoke weed with Tommy Chung. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. But the one that for me that I picked was we did an event. At high times That was called The Doobie Awards And it was a music awards For you know Weed Not just weed songs But weedy musicians Or really anybody Who would come And accept or the like award
0: Only the Doobie
1: Brothers <laughs> they, they, they win every award <laughs> That picture of them With like 80, tra- 80 yeah. statues And they're like oh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And actually At the same event The originators Of 420 The Waldos were there Oh wow And you could check out Our 420 episode From season one to learn all about the history of 420. But what made this night for me so incredible, I was very new to working at High Times. Uh, There was, and I know this is a word you love, a somewhat ragtag video crew. It was certainly nothing like, you know, how Vice was operating with... Working cameras and uh, professional people It It was was
0: still fairly ragtag But I can imagine (laughs) this being ragtag It was
1: a little bit raggier and a little taggier And that is not only no shade To the people I worked with at that time To me it's what always fit I don't really know what I'm doing but uh, (laughs) Yeah,
0: I agree that scrapping Has always been in my nature as well You know, whether it was Reporting for Vice, doing those Vice shoots With just like three, four people Or even the way that we started this podcast You know? Like, which was just you and me and some microphones and some weed and some stories. Yeah, and look at us now. Yeah, look at us now. (laughs) It's all exactly the same things, plus sodas. Plus sodas, each. And Cody, plus Cody. And Cody,
1: and our great friends at Spoke Media. But this is like, I'm very early in being a High Times guy. There's going to be this event at a a really cool club in New York called BB Kings. Yeah, I've been there. This was like, I mean, weed's still not legal in New York State as of this recording, but yeah. it was triply not legal then, but for whatever reason, I guess I shouldn't I don't think the club's still open, but
0: Yeah, I don't think it exists anymore, actually Alright,
1: then we smoke that motherfucker yeah. out like, <laughs> unbelievably, a, a big club in Times Square, and the host for the evening was gentleman you may know Dave Chappelle wow is hosting this event and I'm sort of the the host
0: of the video crew. He is he is truly a weed legend because for you know generations of people half baked is like the quintessential stoner film. It really represents weed of an era, weed culture of an era and he will forever be in the weed history books for that.
1: Yeah, and this was a very interesting moment in time. So he was there to host, and this is what made it incredible. At the time, he was filming the pilot for what became The Chappelle Show. Oh
0: my God, that's amazing.
1: And so the original concept of The Chappelle Show included him doing remotes, like going to things. And so they said, oh, what better place to have Dave Chappelle running around, Backstage and riffing with his own camera crew. So I've got my little rinky-dink camera crew and I'm trying to like uh, Be Kermit the Frog backstage at these Doobie Awards. Yeah, Dave Chappelle Has you know a pretty lean and mean crew that he brought himself to film for the Chappelle show So think about this. This is one of the funniest people Alive, somebody who truly, truly loves weed. Yeah. And he is trying his level best to be hilarious because (laughs) this is going to be the pilot for his first TV show with
0: his name on it. So he's firing on all cylinders right now.
1: This is my first time at the Pot Award, the Doobie Awards. And uh, this is the most organized shit I've ever been to. He is firing on all cylinders, and it was a fucking clinic on being, (laughs) in the moment, hilarious. And it's like, we're both comedy guys. I've watched you develop into somebody doing stand-up, which is incredible. You know, we're both obviously people who love to make other people laugh. Yeah. But this was, like, unbelievably incredible to watch because... It's one thing to write great material and go out on stage and perform. And that's obviously a talent that few people have and it's amazing. But off the dome? Off the dome, straight uncut Chappelle. There's YouTube video that I'm sure we will be splicing into my description of this. Dave, uh, what award did you give out tonight? I gave out best pop song of the year. Who won? Uh, Sean Paul, forgive me the lie and let me know. Just give me the lie. Just give me the And my favorite line is, I was just trying to get, and I'm just kind of like the the little mutton Jeff. To, <laughs> and, and he really, what was great, he was very kind to me. You know, he used me as a comedic foil. He didn't big time me. Yeah. He didn't big time the staff of the magazine. He didn't big time anybody that he came in contact in this very chaotic environment of, at the same time, there's a whole stage show going on with musicians and acts, and and I was just trying to get him to slate, which is when you say, like, I'm Dave Chappelle, and you're watching High Times, and he goes, Hey, I'm Dave Chappelle, and you're watching High Times. It's between Channel 2 and Channel (laughs) 3. And that was just a really, it was a, a whole job and the whole world was so new to me. And I definitely look back on that as, as, as a real, real highlight.
0: That is an incredible story. Thank you so much, <laughs> Bean. that's a good one. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, this was a real time and place in New York, especially because I mean, the NYPD was definitely over enforcing non-existent cannabis laws, you know, at this time, but really you know, uh, within a few years of that, it would become really, really hard to smoke weed in a venue in New York. And I remember, I have actually a really great moment in weed history from my own life that happened in B.B. King's around this time as well. It was when I saw Mad Lib, MF Doom, and J. Dilla Ooh. all live together at B.B. King's, and it was smoked out, and Mad Lib was Wasted and he was like wiling out on the drums, but it's a really, really cool venue. I don't think it exists anymore. Check us on that. That is a fucking amazing moment. All right, uh, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit for this next story. All right, so this is one in which it's definitely a little bit scary until you get to the end. Right, it's one of those which we come across here because it's one in which the authorities are involved, right? Woo, woo! Yeah, they always show up. But there is an individual great moment of this story that 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 I get to, and it's it's sort of a weird one. So I I chose it because it's a weird one. So you know, so so here it is. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story. So I worked for Vice for several years. And I happened to do a handful of international shoots and some domestic ones, which were, like, some of the longest shoots in that company's (laughs) history, right? For various reasons. You know, sometimes it was just, like, okay, we're shooting for an entire series. And, uh, you know, or I, I got stuck in Chad in Central Africa because of some, like you know, some crazy paperwork situation at one point. But I did a shoot in Siberia, right? It's on YouTube. It's called Russian Road Trip. And it's like 30 minutes long in its current form, but it was distilled down from what was supposed to be like like five hours of something. It was supposed to be like a series, right? Like a multi-part series. So we went to Siberia, right? Well, we started off in a city called Novosibirsk, right? Uh, which is like the largest city in Siberia. It's essentially, if you look at a map of Asia, this is the absolute dead center of the continent, right? And we started driving further east into Siberia. It was summertime. Siberia is absolutely beautiful and lush in the summertime. I mean, it was like some of the most breathtaking landscapes I've ever seen, right? And actually, if you are a big cannabis enthusiast, you also know that, this center point of Asia is something very significant to cannabis. It is its birthplace, the Altai Mountains. This is where cannabis is thought to have originated from. This is where the Scythians carried its seeds nomadically all across the Central Asian steppe. So we're driving through this area and everywhere I look, you know, I, I would spot like patches of cannabis, right? And Everybody on the shoot knew that, you know, I was a weed guy. Basically, I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm going to tell this story and never be allowed in Russia again. But that might already be the case, so whatever. So I, I point out that, oh my God, there's cannabis here. Now, at this time, I'm on this shoot, I am abstaining from cannabis. I'm taking what's known as a tolerance break, right? I was like, pretty good excuse. I'm going to Siberia for a month. I'm just not going to smoke weed there because it's very, very illegal, Right. And I see these patches of weed, and I sit and make a comment about it. And one of the producers, right, says, "Oh yeah, well, uh, you know, there's something in the in the food bin for that, right?" And you know, of course, we have these like big bins with like Cliff bars and shit in it. And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Well, on our way out from L.A., I threw a handful of Chiba Chews into the food box, <laughs> right? Now, Chiba Chews are little kind of." Starburst-sized candies that are anywhere between 100 milligrams and 400 milligrams, maybe 500 milligrams. They're very, very strong, right? You're only supposed to eat a little bit or a whole one if you really have a crazy tolerance. So it's a great, you know, uh, edible to transport uh, easily. So he gives me one of the Chiba Chews, right? And I'm like, okay, I take like a tiny little nibble off it and then I throw it into my bag, right? Now, at a couple spots on this journey, right, I'm with this crew. There's maybe about 10 people total. And we have this one producer who's, like, real sketchy, right? And he's always, like, acting weird. And every time we're at, like, a checkpoint of some kind, he's, like, they they kind of, like, look at him really suspiciously and then hold him for a while. And then, like, you know, it's, like, it's real weird, right? So at a certain point, we get to this town, and he, like, kind of disappears for a little while. He gets taken away by the authorities and then, reappears and then you know we're we're driving to this other spot. Now we're in the middle of nowhere, all right? And it's it's really like a beautiful place and we come upon this little Siberian town.
1: Normally the phrase middle of nowhere is a as a term of art, but there's quite a lot of nowhere in the middle of Siberia, right? <laughs> oh yeah, there is
0: lots of nowhere. This is literal <laughs> literally the middle of nowhere. Yeah. 1000%, right? So, we get to this checkpoint And you know, already we're like sketched out. We feel like, is there someone following us? Like what's going on? This producer is real shady, whatever. So we're at this checkpoint, right? And suddenly a bunch of uniformed Russian dudes, right? They show up and they're like, all of you and your vehicles are coming with us. All right. And I turn to one of the crew members and I'm like, who are these guys? And they go, it's the FSB. Now what the FSB is, is the modern day KGB, right? So this is a very sketchy situation. Right after that, one of the producers goes, oh shit, Uh, we don't have permits to be shooting in Russia. (laughs) We're here on tourist visas. Uh, This really says something about vice at this time, (laughs) where uh, no one had bothered to get the more difficult to attain journalistic visas, so we're just there on tourist visas, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is a bad situation, right? So we park our vans in this place, like, inside this compound, right, which we're led into, and they bring us into a room, right? And we're all just sitting around in a room and waiting, and we're like, what's going on? This guy comes in, and he's, like, speaking Russian, and he only speaks Russian, and he seems a little bit like of a, a little bit of a dingus or something, you know? And he's kind of, like, looking around, and he's like, can I have your passport? Someone translates, he's asking for our passport. We give him the passports, okay? He disappears, and he, like, he comes back in, like, 20 minutes later, and in perfect English, he's like, okay, you, come with me. You, come with me. The guy was, like, tricking us, right? And I was like, oh, my God, okay, okay. And one by one, they pull us into a room, right? And finally, like, they pull me into a room with this guy and another guy, and they're sitting there, and there's a translator, and they're like... Do you know where you are? Like, point to where you are on this map, you know? And I point to, like, the wrong place. And then the translator, like, the guy says something in Russian. And the translator's like, he says that's incorrect and that you are stupid at geography because of your poor American education system. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, he's not wrong entirely. <laughs> not wrong, right, <laughs> not wrong. And, you know, the, a couple more things happen like this where he's like, you know... Uh, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for Shambhala, right? Which was like one of the terms that had been thrown around about like, you know, this the mystical place that was supposed to be in this region we were in. And the guy was like, you're, you're again, you know, your education has failed you. You know, and I was like, <laughs> the guy was being real harsh. And the guy's like, so what company do you work for? What are you doing here? Now, I'm not going to tell this guy I work for Vice because... If he Googles my name and vice, he's going to find a whole lot of articles and pictures of me smoking weed and getting all types of crazy, right? Doing dabs and whatnot. And then he's going to say, search this guy's bag. And you know what he's going to find in that bag? The fucking chew. You're about to get chewed up and spit out. Dude, for real. Because weed is very, very illegal in Russia, right? And... I'm sitting in there sweating. He's like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a music blogger, you know? I'm like, that's it. I'm just a music blogger. I'm like, I'm hoping that, you know, if he Googles my name, he'll just see, like, a bunch of Arab dudes and, like, you know, I'll be, like, lost in the mix, which is no longer the case now, you know? It's just, like, all pictures of me smoking weed. But at the time, I was like, okay, if I can keep this guy from Googling me, I'm going to be totally okay, right? So we we keep talking and you know he's like i'm asking him questions and now i'm playing the dummy i i'm kind of being like oh i don't know it was just a job so you know i just came with these guys and they were like we need somebody to you know present the places on camera so i just came along and you know i need to make money because uh, life as a music blogger is very hard and you know i don't have much money this place is nice though and i just like played into this thing of like oh like that what's the last thing this guy's going to expect? He thinks Americans are, like, these arrogant fools who are, you know, just going to, like, reveal themselves at the drop of a hat. So I was like, nope, I'm just a simpleton in here, <laughs> right? Just nodding away. And the guy actually drops his guard a little bit and starts being friendly with me. And I'm like, so what are the foods here? I had borscht. It was very tasty. Like, what goes into that? Do you know how to make borscht or whatever? And he's like... Yes, he starts kind of explaining to me, you know, and he starts, like, softening up a little bit, right? And then he's like, where in the United States are you from? And I say Philadelphia, right? Which is where I live mostly, the United States. And he's like, oh, Philadelphia, very cool, Rocky, like, Rocky. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, for a guy who really has some skewed visions of America, like, this guy sure loves fucking Stallone, you know what I mean? Like, he's a huge Rocky fan. That's
1: funny, too, because Rocky 3 or 4 or whatever is, like, very... Yeah,
0: exactly, even Drago is a really bad portrayal.
1: If he dies, he dies.
0: But I was like, maybe this guy has only seen the first rocket. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, have you not seen four with the robot (laughs) and the... No? Okay, all right. Let's just leave it there. And, you know, I talk about the statue at the art museum steps. And finally, he's like, okay, I'm satisfied, right? And he sits me down. Beginning to end, we were in the compound for nine and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. And then finally, they say, okay, you're free to go, right? Go back to your vehicles, right? So we start heading to the vehicles. I walk at a normal pace, right? And then we get to our van, and I immediately open my bag, get in the front pouch, grab the chibichu, and eat the entire fucking thing. Destroying Ooh. the evidence, right? <laughs> what proceeded after that was a three and a half hour drive of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen in my life. And I was high as a (laughs) motherfucker just escaped the jaws of the FSB cruising through Siberia to our next destination. Spoke media. (sighs)
1: Anytime you don't get caught, that's a great moment in history. Oh, yeah. And everybody who not everybody who smokes weed, but everybody who smokes weed has one of those stories. And I like you say, maybe the younger generation coming up, uh, depending where you live, won't experience that. And that is a blessing. Don't feel like you missed out on anything. You know, the giddy thrill of getting away with it. And that's a pretty extreme example, but it's not worth uh, the fear and and the paranoia. We're glad that you won't experience that. And it reminds me, I have kind of a parallel. Well, I, I have a travel story that's just all happy. Let's hear it. Yeah, so, uh, and that was one of the great things, too, It's just anytime you travel, whether it's in the U.S., whether it's down the block or whether it's around the world, if you can find weed people, you're going to find your people. You know, that has never failed me in life long before this was my profession long before I was associated with any kind of high times or vice or this podcast or anything. You find weed people, you find weed culture, you'll find your people. And to me, like a great, great example of that was I made these two DVDs producing again. This was long before we were hanging out or knew each other. This is going back to like 2005, 2006. And there's a gentleman, big time friend of the podcast, Jorge Cervantes. He wrote the definitive books on how to grow weed over a million copies sold. He has spread the knowledge of how to not just grow cannabis, but grow great cannabis all over the world. His books are in like 15 different languages. And the opportunity came, hey, we want to make a DVD with Jorge. Would you produce it? We did two separate trips. We did one trip in Canada, and then we went to Spain where Jorge lives. And what was so just amazing about it was we are traveling through Spain, and we're going to like two or three different growers a day to see their gardens, and to learn about how to grow. And what was so amazing about that trip was traveling with Jorge. He's this person who has deeply touched people's lives, even if they had never met him. Because like they say, if if you give a person a fish, they eat for today. If you teach them to fish, uh, they eat forever. Well, he taught people how to grow weed and that not only supplied them with weed, but you just hear stories, Jorge, You know, you put my kids through college. Jorge, you know, you helped me get through X or Y or Z and live the life I wanted. The best one I ever heard was, Jorge, you kept me from ever having to work a fucking office job. (laughs) And I'll owe you forever. It was one of the earliest times where I really realized, like, I'm a part of this culture. And this culture is all over the world. And... Well, on the one hand, we're marginalized and fucked with. On the other hand, these complete strangers were uh, who had, we had a language, but I, I speak some Spanish. Uh, he is, Jorge speaks fluent Spanish, but right. I, I speak some Spanish. You know, they, a lot of the people spoke some English. We all spoke weed. and just like two weeks on the road it was my first real experience with a big video production like that and it opened my eyes to just the beauty of the way of life of the of of the ganja farmer Mm -hmm. and it really set me on a path to want to report on that and and to be not just somebody who... I, I My early years at High Times, I was almost exclusively writing about people getting fucked with by the government. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had like a, a weed job, but uh, in many ways like a depressing
0: job. Yeah, because being a weed reporter for a long time was being a crime reporter in a lot of ways.
1: Yes, and the crimes were really being committed by the government yeah. against some of the sweetest, kindest people. And that doesn't mean everybody who grows weed is a sweet, kind person or that... Simply growing weed makes you a sweet, kind person. But you saw the boot of authority coming down on the necks of these people who really had great values. But this was so different. This contextualized it as this plant can provide a way of life for you. And I just have such incredible warm memories of that trip. Jorge uh, and I have been really close friends ever since. And he also was an example for me, an early example of somebody who always turned it back the other way, who always said, no, tell me about you. And who always said, no, what can I do for you? And connected people and fostered the interconnectedness of this marginalized community simply by traveling, writing about people, and sharing knowledge. And that's all in all a very great moment in weed history for me.
0: It's so cool when you get to meet people who really shape cannabis culture. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there is a like-mindedness that I don't think you can get anywhere else. And the next story that I want to share with you is about like-mindedness, right? But not like-mindedness in my life as a professional cannabis person, but my discovery about, in some ways, what like-mindedness is during my formative years, right? So I was a young guy when this happened. I was like, 16 or 17, I think, right? So, when I was in high school, I was a stoner. Surprise. What? Wait, what? No. <laughs> ah, what? Oh, oh uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that does track. Yeah, right? I was a stoner punk kid, right? I was definitely one of the few kids like myself in this school, and you know, I definitely had some friends, but in high school, I didn't have a lot of friends, and you know, I, I kind of did my own thing. I would definitely say I felt misunderstood when I was in high school. I was into things that the kids around me were not into. You know, I was certain that I was much cooler than everybody, but my place in the high school hierarchy did not agree with my opinion, <laughs> right? So I was in a marketing class, right? So when I was in high school, um, you know, I I thought maybe I'll major in marketing in college, which I, which is I did. That's what I ended up majoring in. Uh, Because I thought it was a good, potentially lucrative application of my creativity, right? Uh, Which it was not. I I never (laughs) ended up really working in marketing. Little jobs here and there. But to prepare for that in college, I was taking a marketing class, right? So there's this thing called DECA, right? Distributive Education Clubs of America. And essentially what it is was an event at which high school kids who study marketing would come and kind of compete you know what I mean? In in certain like, oh, okay, here's like a practice pitch or like, you know, whatever. It was kind of like one of these things. And there was like a magic show and whatever. It was like a field trip for, you know, future business leaders of America type thing. You got out of school for this. Got out of school for this. I would have done anything to get out of school for <laughs> yes. anything. Yes. And it was an overnight trip, right? So we were going to spend two nights at the Holiday Inn or whatever. And, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, right? So this was near Philadelphia. I went to high school in North Jersey. All right. So, you know, they're like, okay, uh, everyone's going to get a roommate, you know, at at the Holiday Inn or Days Inn or whatever. And I'm looking around the class like, oh, man, I do not want to be roommates with any of these people, right? There's one kid. There's one kid, right? And his name is Tall. And the reason that I'm using his real name is because... I wrote this story in my column one time, and he insisted that I use his real name, because I would always use pseudonyms in the column. It was about people smoking weed. He said, no, my name is Tall, and I'm proud of this story. And shout out you, tall. We actually have a couple of fun weed stories together after this one as well, but this was the, the first one, right? And to me, it's pretty special, because he was the only guy in the class I wanted to room with because he smoked weed. He was a chill guy, right? So, uh, you know, as soon as we saw that we were going to be roommates, right, he, like, gave me the look, (laughs) and I was like, yep, yep. And, you know, he was like, all right, bro, don't worry. I got us. I'm going to get the weed. Like, I got it covered. You know what I mean? He had, like, an older sibling or something. So he was like, I'll take care of the weed. We are going to have a good old time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to be great. We're away from home. We got our own hotel room. We're both stoners. It's going to be fun, right? So... The day of the field trip shows up and we see each other and I'm like, you got the, you know, and he's like, yeah, fucking got it. man. I got everything. I got my bowl. He's like, you know, my uncle got me a bowl from Mexico. You know what I mean? He's like a wooden bowl. All right. Tal sounds cool as fuck. He's, yeah, really cool guy. Actually, I haven't seen him in years. Uh, So Shout out this guy. A very chill guy. Uh, I'm sure he's still being chill somewhere. So I know he's got the weed. We're ready to go. Right as we're getting on the bus, right? Kids are loading up, ready to rock. Our teacher shows up, right? Who's this guy who I just remember he was wearing, like, he always wore, like, TV lawyer glasses. You know what I mean? Like, these like, wide glasses. And he was like, hey, guys, uh, so we have an extra person that needs a room, so he's going to room with you guys, right? And we're like, what? Who? And he points to this kid who I'll call PJ, Because that's what I called him when I originally wrote the story. Now, this guy, PJ, right, not his real name, was not, shall we say, on the level. So PJ is, like, really not cool. He's sort of a teacher's pet, right? And, you know, he hung out with, like, the kind of corny kids and who felt a little bit goody two-shoes, you know? Tal and I were both definitely looked at as kind of, like, bad kids. You know what I mean? Like it was just, you know, that's that that's that's how the chips fall sometimes, that's right? That's how
1: it shakes out sometimes. That's
0: how it shakes out sometimes. Pun right? alert. Right? <laughs> so we're both like, no, anyone but this guy, PJ, right? And like the teacher walks away, and me and Tal are like, Bro, all our plans are ruined. Like this was gonna be a fucking party. You know what I mean? Like we were gonna be chilling and getting stoned and watching whatever bullshit on the hotel TV, you know what I mean? And now it was all completely screwed, right? So PJ comes up to us, and he's like wearing like a short sleeve button down, you know, and he's like, hey guys, like, how's it going? Like, you ready for this trip? Hope I win the competition or whatever, right? And we're like, oh, this guy is so fucking corny. So we ride on the bus, me and Tal are sitting next to each other, right? This guy, PJ, is somewhere else sitting with his friends, and we're like, Oh, man, what are we going to do? And Tall's like, no, no, we're still going to smoke. We're still going to get high. We're going to have a good time. This guy's not going to rain on our parade, right? It's like an hour of drive or whatever. We get to the Cherry Hill Holiday Inn. So before we get into the hotel room, right, Tall lays out the plan, right? He says, all right, look, as soon as we get into the hotel room, I'm going to leave a packed bowl in the bathroom. Now, what I want you to do is go in the bathroom, say, I have to take a shower, right? Roll in, hit half of the bowl, right? And then take a shower and come out, and I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna take a shower now, and then I'll go in, I'll finish the second half of the bowl, I'll take a shower, and we'll sit there and chill. PJ's not gonna know the difference, right? Tall is the man with the plan. He really is, yeah, yeah, he really is, right? Okay, we get in the hotel room, right? PJ's, like, neatly taking his stuff out of his bag. And Tal, like, goes into the bathroom, comes out, and he's like, all right, gives me the signal, right? So I go, okay, uh, I'm going to take a shower, right? And, like, roll in the bathroom, right? And just, like, I'm in there, I find the bowl, and I hit the bowl, you know, I smoke half of it. I do corners, you know, because I have good etiquette. And I blow the hit directly into the vent fan, right? Probably just pumping it into the next room, you know what I mean? (laughs) And I get pretty stoned, right? And I get so stoned that I forget to take a shower, right? (laughs) And I just walk out of the bathroom with a towel over my shoulder, just dressed in the same (laughs) clothes. Right? So I get out of the bathroom, I'm standing there, eyes are probably fucking red as fuck, right? And Tall looks at me, wide-eyed, like what the fuck are you doing? And I remember that I was supposed to take a shower, so I say out loud, that was a good shower. (laughs) Smooth. Smooth move, Xlax. right? So PJ at this point is kind of giving me a weird look. You know, he's like, what? PJ's no fool. (laughs) PJ is perhaps no fool, and he sort of knows something's up. And then Tall, right, he's like grabs his clothes and he's like, all right, I'm going to jump in there and take a shower, right? So tall, then goes in there, right? It closes the door. And in a couple minutes, we hear the shower turn on, right? And then we're sitting there and we're watching something dumb on TV. It's like, it's, you know, who knows what? Just blankly. They don't know what to say to each other. And then PJ pipes up. He turns to me and he goes, I, I totally know you guys are smoking weed in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right? so he literally pipes up. Yeah, he pipes up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like, oh, fuck, fuck, are are, we, are are you gonna rat on us? Like, uh, oh, shit, you know? And he's like, no, man. <laughs> like, I, I've smoked weed. Like, I smoke weed sometimes, you know? Like, not all the time, but I do it. You know, I'm just a regular guy. Like, I, I like to do stuff too. You know, you guys think I'm like a goody two-shoes or something, but I'm just a regular person. And yeah, sure, I've smoked weed, and I don't have a problem with you guys doing it. And I'm like oh my God, man, I had you pegged all fucking wrong. I just assumed from the way you looked that you would be a total narc. And the thing is that I hate that I get judged for the way I look, you know what I mean? I hate that because I'm a stoner, people are like, oh, that kid's a druggie or something, you know what I mean? And, you know, I'm just a different type of person and I get called for And you know what? I was doing the same thing to you you know, it's a, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. We're like-minded people. We didn't even know it, and I really learned something about like-mindedness, right? And then PJ did something that earned my respect for life, all right? He says, okay, well, you know I'm cool, right? But Tall doesn't know that. So with your permission, I'd like to fuck with him a little bit. <laughs> oh. And I'm like whoa, PJ, what is up, bro? You know, like, this is pretty wild. I was like, okay, he goes, okay, just follow my lead. Few minutes later, Tall gets out of the shower. He actually remembered to take a shower, changes his clothes, walks out, his hair is wet, his eyes are red as fuck, could be explained away by the shower. Smart move, right? So he gets out, and he's high, and he looks at me, and he's like, yep, hi, and, you know, sits down, and, you know, we're all watching TV together, Right? And tall is like on easy street. He's like, we pulled it off. You know what I mean? He's, we're not saying anything, but his his look says it all. That good post heist feeling. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the crime is done. <laughs> and then PJ he turns to us and he go. He s- wrinkles his nose up and he sniffs <laughs> a couple times. Right? And he goes, "Do you guys smell weed?" Right? And tall is like, "No." <laughs> you know. And I'm like, well, no, no. And PJ gets up from his chair and (laughs) he sniffs his way to the door that is between us and the next room, you know? The connecting door between two hotel rooms. And he sniffs around the door, right? And he turns to us, serious as fuck, and he goes, guys, I think they're smoking weed next door. (laughs) Right? And Tall is like, Hey man, I just leave it alone, you know, <laughs> we don't need any trouble in here, it's all, and PJ goes, no, no, it's wrong, it's wrong that they're smoking weed next door, <laughs> and he goes, I think we should go get the teacher, right, and Tal's like, no, there's no need for that, and I'm completely dead silent at this point, right, and PJ's like, no, it's the right thing to do, they're smoking drugs next door, I'm going to tell somebody. That's it. And he makes towards the door, right? Full confidence. And tall, stands up and almost drops to his knees, right? (laughs) And he goes, okay, okay. It was me. It was me. And I'll shout him out that he didn't, like, throw me under the bus immediately, right? He was like, bro, I just took a couple of hits before my shower. Like, take it easy, okay? There's no need to tell the teacher. Please, please, just... Just drop it, okay? I promise we won't do it again. I'm sorry. It's bad, right? And at this point, I'm losing my fucking mind, right? And finally, PJ cracks a smile, right? And he goes, Ah, I'm just fucking with (laughs) you, man. And I'm like, Oh my God, he was fucking with us the whole time. And we all laughed our asses off, right? And just like chuckled about it for the rest of the weekend. You know what I mean? It was like, we, had, we would run into this guy and exchange a look and kind of laugh some more. And for the rest of the field trip, we kept smoking weed in the bathroom here and there, you know. PJ did not have a problem with it. He was cool. And he was like, whatever. We smoked some weed outside or whatever. But for a brief moment, we got to bond with a person who we never would have bonded with, right? And thanks to him, he took it to this level of amicability that you know, I never would have expected out of them. And it really taught me to just uh, accept people for who they are and not draw conclusions about them because you never know who's going to be cool as fuck. You
1: know, we didn't exchange notes before this. That
0: story, I'll, I'll do a very quick
1: version of, yeah. uh, it reminds me of, so when I was a freshman in college and they say to you like, hey, this person's going to be your roommate who you've never met. And now you're going to share this super tiny space. Oof, yeah. And we called each other and he was like, yo, do you, you know, do you drink? Yeah. And I was like, uh, you know, I drink sometimes, but it's not like a big deal, which, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. You smoke weed? And how he said it, mm-hmm. I thought he was like, because I don't want no weed anywhere near me. Oh, man. So I was like, no, Right and then for maybe like a week, we just ignored each other. We just had nothing to do with each other. Each of us were like, that dude's gonna harsh my fucking mellow, and we're going outside to smoke. And I come back, and here's a great moment in personal weed history, Uh, I took a bong hit for the first time in somebody else's room. I mean, I knew what a bong was, but I never smoked one. And I take like two giant bong hits and I'm just like, especially, I don't know what it is about maybe when you're younger, but my eyes got got so red and I come back to my room and I'm like literally like feeling the wall (laughs) to like grab the door handle to open it. I'm so high. And so I come in the room and my roommate's just sitting there and he's like, yo, You're high. You're high as fuck right now. And I'm like, (laughs) no, man, I don't smoke weed. And he's like, I know high. You're high. And I'm like, oh, all right. Like, I'm not going to do it in the room. I'm not going to make it a problem. He's like, come here. And I'm like, all right, I go over there. He pulls open his desk drawer and he's got like a QP. And it's like, at this point, like a half an eighth is maybe the most weed I've ever possessed in my my life. This will age me a little bit, but he's like, listen, motherfucker. Nobody has six Bob Marley tapes and doesn't smoke weed. I looked for your tapes. <laughs> you knew. <laughs> and then we were uh, pretty close after that.
0: That is amazing, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely college is the time when you find the other stoners. You know what I mean? And you hone your JDAR.
1: Yeah. You know, Yeah. You really start to gain that skill to see it's a lot more people than you think.
0: It's so true, man. That is a fucking great formative years. <laughs> weed history moment
1: yeah absolutely and i all right i got another one for you from uh great let's do it from the glory days so i used to work on the crew for the cannabis cup every year when it was in amsterdam for like 10 years um, and that was just the most amazing job perk <laughs> yeah you can imagine hard work but so much fun and you got to meet people literally from all over the world uh, at the time, Amsterdam was still this very unique weed haven. Uh, we have a whole episode of the show about, about how the coffee shop started in season one. But this Cannabis Cup, you know, it was a contest. You'd go to the coffee shops, but there was also a big sort of trade show area. And uh, there's all booths and people are smoking and you could buy seeds there and you could buy cannabis there. Uh, but really, the law in the Netherlands is you could only have five grams on you personally. So everyone's milling around. There's all these boots, people from all over the world. are smoking and having fun. So naturally, <laughs> yeah, boop, so, boop. yeah. Oh my God, the fucking cops show up. Well, the enter the you need to leave the Not just the cops. A hundred and fifty federal, Dutch, national police. This is, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where 150 law enforcement people show up at once. It's an army. It's a fucking invasion. And from like the chillest, weediest moment in the world to like just panic. You know, oh. you see the people who, like, saved for their trip the whole year. That whole point was to come and not get fucked with. And then the people who had booths. Everybody's very fucking worried. Uh, no one knows how this situation is going to play itself out. Crazy. Uh, and I'm sitting there. I got a thing on that says high time staff that I'm, you know. About got-
0: once a badge of honor now, like, a red <laughs> yeah. flag.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I am not ashamed to say the first thing I do is I look around. I take that thing the fuck off. Yeah. I'm like, uh, see who fight and run away, live to fight another day. Yeah. Nothing good's gonna come from me uh going down with this ship. There's nothing I can do to help anybody at this point. Yeah. We're just waiting to see what happens. Yeah. And so they kind of like walk around, they they're blocking the exit. So a a, a Dutch police officer who spoke English and uh, other languages, they were giving this announcement in several different languages, comes on and we're all shitting bricks like what is going to happen? And they say Dutch law says you can only have five grams of cannabis on your person and we're going to let people leave in an orderly fashion, but you're going to be searched. On the way out, and if you have more than five grams of cannabis on you, you are going to be subject to potential arrest.
0: Suddenly, the floor is covered with weed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, suddenly, somebody goes
1: up and says, can I smoke what I have? Yeah. Right up to this phalanx of of law enforcement. Can I smoke what I have? Yeah. And for whatever reason, they said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now you can go on YouTube and see video so this. you yeah. my strongest shit out, man. Yeah. Oh, baby, look at that thing. Shutting burnt. us down at the Canvas cut 2011. Making us eat everything so that we can't take any with of steam to our little room at night and
0: smoke it in bed. It sucks, it's going to be way wasted by the time I get there now. Ooh, buddy. Look at that fat-ass joint.
1: But everybody just started gathering in the center of this room oh my and pulling God. out everything they had. And in a way, it was sad because people had, it was early in the event. People had collected everything oh, no. that they wanted. But in another way, Something about hundreds of people directly in front of the police just chiefing. I've never seen per capita weed smoking like this and hash wow. and everything, and everybody's giving everything they have to everyone else. Wow. And you looked at the at the look of these are uh, these federal law enforcement officers' faces. And at first, they're like, oh, shit, we definitely shouldn't have said you could smoke it. Wow. Uh, But also, you just saw this dawning realization like, this is stupid. Why are we here? Like, what function do we serve? I have never been a part of just, as Homer Simpson said, uh, I could just blow smoke in their faces and all they could do is groove on it. Yeah, (laughs) man.
0: Dude, that is fucking amazing and that's a seriously great moment right there i mean despite the circumstances you know it's like those cops unwittingly sanctioned like a huge sesh you know what i mean like that's fucking fantastic i got one that's pretty quick that i i wanted to mention uh so i was on a show called high maintenance with our friend ben sinclair Created by Ben and our friend Katya. It's the only thing I've ever acted in. It's actually a pretty interesting story how I ended up shooting the first thing that I ever did on that show. So High Maintenance was a web series before it was an HBO show. It was like totally independently made. And, you know, somebody advice was like, hey, you're doing weed stuff. There's this weed show going on. And you know, they're making shows, they're making episodes independently in Brooklyn. And so I ended up meeting up with them and we got really stoned and me and Ben really broke down. We discovered that we were born like one day apart, right? At, at our first hangout. And we were like, wow, that's pretty crazy. You know, we're like doing weed stuff together. And not long after that, they asked me if I was down to do a cameo in an episode of, of High Maintenance. I had never acted before. I was super down, right? And essentially, just before we did that episode, I was doing research for the first episode of Weed which is about butane hash oil. And me and Ben had been hanging out a little bit at the time. So I invited him to come and meet the guy who was gonna show us how to make BHO, right? And this guy was this really intense dude who lived in Alphabet City, and he had a whole bunch of really amazing glass. He was the guy who gave me my first dab, right? And a couple days after that, I was like, yo, Ben, you gotta come with me and check this shit out. This is crazy, right? And we actually had this guy, Chris O'Coin, who's a friend from Motherboard, with us. And he filmed the first time Ben dabbed, the second time I dabbed, at this guy's apartment. I don't know where this footage is, but it's, it's somewhere. And you know, we ended up taking a bunch of dabs, right? So as they do on that show, they ended up writing some real life into the actual show, right? So the character I play is like a dude who sits at home and takes dabs. You know what I mean? I have like super long hair and I like I'm wearing a fish t-shirt and in the scene, I'm sitting there with my roommate and he's, you know, like uh tech support kind of job or something, and he's sitting there, and there's a blowtorch involved or whatever, and we shot that scene in the actual apartment where I lived at the time. So everything that you see is my actual stuff or my roommate's stuff, and the dab rig was like this guy's rig, and I used to sit there and take dabs, right? Like, this was a little piece of my actual life at the time, that was encapsulated in high maintenance. It was a low budget show. You know, they just used locations that their friends at to help them set up. In this situation, they were like, "Let's just shoot you where you actually are." And to date, it's the only time you ever see dabbing in earnest on that show. It was perhaps the first time there was dabbing in a scripted show on TV in general. I, I don't know of any other example where uh, earlier than that where it actually happened, and. We were dabbing real concentrate. So we were absolutely high as shit. Now, once it became an HBO show, things were a little more buttoned up. When my character came back in the HBO show as an Uber driver, I was like total shave, total haircut, the cleaned up version of that character who was like getting his shit together or whatever. You know what I mean? Later on. But it really was kind of parallel to my actual life when we were shooting that one episode. And it was just a really great moment. If you find the episode, it's on HBO. It's called Brad Pitts with an S at the end. And it ends with this little vignette, with this like slow-mo of me and Ben and this other actor, Nat, sitting on the couch. And he's heating up a dab nail. You know what I'm saying? And it really captured something for me it ended up being something that came back. You know what I mean? I ended up acting in four more episodes of the show later. And yeah, it's the only time I've ever done that. Definitely, for me, a great moment. And that show, in a lot of ways, is just uh, a whole bunch of great moments in weed history, I think.
1: Yeah, Ben uh, Ben is a, uh, not just a friend of the podcast, but joined us in New York for a live show. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw High Maintenance was like maybe the first or second episode, I was working at High Times and somebody emailed me the link. I think it was Ben. Yeah. Uh, just emailed it to High Times at random. Wow. And uh, so used to just seeing horrible, horrible portrayals. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, 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 with much trepidation, clicked on the link and within uh, 30 seconds, I was like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. And yeah. And to see what they created... Uh, from that very homemade show to bringing it all the way to HBO is uh, incredible and really inspiring. I think certainly inspiring for me that if you just keep at it and tell good stories, you know, the audience is out there. uh, And it's it's really cool to see them succeed with it and expand it Mm -hmm. and make it really one of my favorite shows. Yeah, same. And funny enough, the next story I had for you... Is about my uh, uh, debut as an actor on Whoa, a TV no show. No kidding. Perfect. Let's go. Which you may not even—I may, you may not even know this, but so uh, actually, when we were making the Jorge DVDs, the first trip, we went to Canada, and we're going grower to grower, filming people's farms, and everybody lives way out, sort of in remote areas, and they've got big uh, to me- medium to big outdoor grows going, and they're just bushed. Like, you're not supposed to go to town. You're not supposed to talk to anybody. You're just Mm. supposed to keep to yourself. And it was the DVD era of entertainment. Right, right. Pre-streaming. So everybody's got a bog, weed, and like eight DVDs uh, (laughs) to last the whole grow season. And everywhere we go, I keep seeing these DVDs for the Trailer Park Boys, which I've never heard of. Right. Finally, I ask somebody, like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's this great show. And these guys, and they grow weed, and they live in a trail park. This is so fucking funny. And I'm kind of having the same feeling of like, "Mm, You're like, ah, is this going to be terrible? This is going to be terrible. Uh, But finally, one of these growers is like, you know what? And this was like the prized possession. He's like, you know what? Take this DVD and watch it when you get home, and you'll know what I mean. I go home. I watch this DVD. Uh, It's just so fucking funny. Boys, <laughs> that is his hands down the best dope I've ever fucking smoked.
0: <laughs> All um, right, tomorrow we harvest, boys. We're going to have to get Corey and Trevor out here to give us a hand.
1: You guys want some of this shit? Fuck that, Ricky. If it knocked you right in your ass, it'll tear my head right off. Oh, fuck, boys. Who still is... bakes from the test joint this morning? So... uh big-hearted of a show it really appealed to me as much as these are like rough and tumble characters who live in a trailer park it's all about heart it's all about weed community. I'm like, this is great. I send an email I find them and they're they're kind of big in they're they're pretty big stars in Canada this yeah. is a very popular show like one of the most popular shows ever made in Canada. Wow, yeah. And, uh, but at this time had never been shown in the U.S. I'd never even heard of it. And I find their website and I just send it to the general uh, email box. Hey, I'm the editor at High Times. I, I got this. I told basically the story I just told you. Yeah. And I get an email back from the creator of the show, Mike Clattenberg. Uh, and it says, I've been waiting for this email for five years. <laughs> 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 he invites us up. To uh the set. And and at the time there was a way that we could do split covers of High Times where you could have one cover in the US and one cover in Canada. Ah. And so we're like, oh, a trailer park boys cover will kill in Canada, and we don't have to put him on the cover in the US where no one knows him. Right. He invites me up to the trailer park. They filmed in a uh they had created a whole trailer park. It was a 360 immersive uh set environment everywhere you looked and it was myself and a really good friend uh, who took the photos and did videos and we, we go to the set of the Trailer Park Boys we're watching them film we're hanging out having this great day and Mike is like You know, I'm pretty busy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super glad you're here. Here's the call sheet for tomorrow. This shows you all the locations where we're going to film and what time and just come hang out and experience it. Yeah. And I see on the thing, it says something like 630 a.m. The first shot establishing shot outside this courthouse. And uh, it'll tell you who's supposed to be in the shot. And it says greasy stoner number one and number two. <laughs> and it's just supposed to be two greasy stoners hanging out outside a courthouse for an establishing shot of like five seconds. Yeah. And then the next shot, you're in the courthouse and right. you understand where you are. Yeah. And I just, I was with my homie and I was like, dude, and I'm not a morning guy. I was like, I just think we should be there like we're two greasy stoners (laughs) like i don't know right and we get there we show up it's in halifax it's outdoor thing we get to the set and uh mike the director and the head writer of the show Runs over to us and oh, and uh, I, this was like a drinking buddy of mine yeah. You know, so we got a little tore up that night on the set with the trailer park boys. They had a party. We we're partying and uh, but we drag ourselves out of bed and we get to this set and Mike comes out of the director's chair and he runs over to us and He goes you guys are perfect. You want to be Greasy Stoner number uh, one knew. and number two? You knew. And he said, I just sent two people home because they weren't greasy and stonery <laughs> enough. And I think it's uh, in season seven. I forget what episode, but it's called uh, A Few Good Men Are Dead. Uh, and you could see, uh, myself and my colleague from high times, we're smoking a giant joint outside this courthouse. And then when a couple of cops come out of it, I hide the joint behind my back. We did it. <laughs> the first take we killed it. We did one safety take and, uh, it's uh, that's the entirety of my acting career, but I'm pretty proud of it. Amazing. And was it real weed that you were smoking? It was not uh this stage they, weed. Yeah, they they had the, the, the rules and the unions and everything. Right, but right. uh I can say since then I've had several occasions to hang out uh, with the lead actors and Mike and uh they don't just play stoners on TV. <laughs>
0: That's so dope, man. That's incredible, and it is really uh, a phenomenon. It it's a huge weed show. And, you know, since, since it's come on Netflix, I, I think that it's gained, like, a whole new audience in the U.S. It's definitely got a cult following, and you are forever part of that show. That's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, it's it's the entirety of my reel. So if, if anybody <laughs> out there is casting Greasy Stoners for some new production, uh, I got experience. I'm ready to go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fucking amazing, man. That one's so good. So, I mean, I'm pretty pretty tapped out of stories, Tell me one more awesome, personal, great moment in weed history, and then we'll call it a day and go outside and smoke some weed.
1: Yeah, because we got 420 more joints.
0: Yeah, seriously. (laughs) They're not going to smoke themselves.
1: Well, this one I really thought long and hard about, like, what was just a very personal a great moment. And I went in 2006 as a a reporter, I went to cover the normal convention in San Francisco. And I'd been living in New York, a place with total prohibition. I'd never really experienced California and all its splendors of the time, Mm -hmm. the medical cannabis era. And it's just this big, beautiful convention. And you're meeting activists, you're meeting growers. I've never seen more good amazing weed in my life to date than at this normal convention and it was so inspiring and so fun and mm. really tapping into this culture that like i said i smoke weed every day growing up but i wasn't connected to the culture other than like my little crew my little stoner crew yeah just like the waldos who invented 420 yeah that was stoner culture to me but when i got to this normal convention i saw holy shit you know, this is a big thing. And I'm I'm checking out of the hotel uh, where I was staying and where the conference also was, and I'm just flying high. I'm like, this is the future, this is everything. And I'm literally walking out the door of the hotel and I see a, a, a person who I had seen around at the convention who was in a wheelchair and is just looking so upset and sounding so upset mm. and they t- and and this this gentleman is talking to somebody who is the staff of the hotel and I can see he's been crying Shit. and I just the same thing I do when I see a cop fucking with somebody I just try to sidle over and be like at least one other person is watching yeah like the, you know I, whatever I can do but what I don't even know what's happening. And I, 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 I'm just assuming this person is about to get arrested for their medical cannabis. And I'm Fuck. like, oh my God. But what's going on is this guy who is the manager of the hotel is on the phone and I think he's calling the cops. But then here's his side of the conversation. It says, hello. Yes, this is Larry, the manager. Of the yes okay yes uh y- okay you're on the third floor right now well I'm with a gentleman here and he has left his medical cannabis in his hotel room he has already checked out and he's quite concerned that we can recover it for him and of course could you go to the room right now and just see if it's still in the room and and I'll hold on the line and I'm like. Oh, oh, that's great. That's the world I want to live in. And I'm like, all right, I got to see how this plays out. And this, yeah. and this guy is, you know, upset. This is yeah. his medicine. He can't believe he left it in the room. Yeah. And a couple minutes go by and he says, okay, well, yes. Oh, wonderful! Yes, wonderful. Well, we we are right in the in the lobby right now. If you could, if you could, I know you're you're busy cleaning the rooms, but if you could do me a favor and just bring that directly down here Aww. right now, uh, that would be so wonderful. I actually waited. I kind of, you know, slunk off to a respectful distance. And the cleaning staff came down. And uh, I think they had put it in like a brown paper bag or maybe that's what it was in. And they handed it to this guy. And he said, thank you so much. And I said, this is the future. This is the kindness. It's like, this is the world we all want to live in. And it felt like a vision of that world coming into being. And I know it was a great moment in weed history for the person who did get their big bag of weed yes. back. Holy shit! It all comes around. Happy fucking 420. Around. But the other thing I realized is, and it was a great moment in weed history for me, but it was a great moment in weed history for the manager of that hotel yeah. because he was put in a position to do what he wants to do, which is to be hospitable mm. and not in a position to fuck with people.
0: You know, somebody might say, oh, like, you know, Someone loses a bag of weed and cries over it. Well, look, to some of us, it's just a night of entertainment or whatever it might be. But for many, many people, it's much more than that. It is medicine. It's something palliative that you take. If you have any number of illnesses, cannabis is going to ease your pain. And to not have your medicine, to not be able to ease your pain, is cause for a lot of concern. You know, that's why somebody might get that upset over losing their weed. It's completely justified. And you know what? Instead of saying like, oh, whatever, this guy was like, no, I'm going to help out in this situation. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think that's a really important one to remember on this day of all days, you know, because cannabis is about a lot of things. It's about enjoyment. It's about music. It's about togetherness. It's about partying. You know what I mean? Which is what a lot of people are doing on this day. But it is fundamentally about freedom. It is about the freedom to do what you got to do as long as you're not hurting anyone else, as long as you're only spreading love, creating love, giving love. That is what cannabis is about. And on this 420, let's start a new tradition. Do something good for someone else. Give somebody who needs a nug a nug give somebody who needs a dollar a dollar help out a friend help out a stranger do something good for somebody else on 420 and let's try to keep that tradition alive but we just want to say thanks so much for hanging out with us while we went over some of our personal great moments in weed history. We have a lot of shared ones. We have a lot of ones that we've experienced separately that we want to share with each other and with you. So, you know, maybe we'll do this again one day soon. But this was a really fun one. Happy 420 out there Happy 420 Yeah Now go smoke
1: weed what Go are you smoke doing? weed <laughs> And get your crew together Get your stoner crew together Get your weed stories together mm-hmm. It's like it's fun to go to all of these events And while out But at the end of the day What this culture is always about Is chilling Smoking weed Sharing stories I couldn't think of a better way To do all of that Than with you my friend
0: Likewise no, Happy dude Happy 420 Happy 420 to you, Bean. We'll see you guys next time. Great Moments in Weed History is a spoke media production. It's hosted by me, Abdullah Said, and David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. We're produced
1: by Cody Hoffmackle with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and Carson McCain. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Aliyah Tabakolian
0: and Keith Reynolds. We're recorded at Gold Digger Studio by Gabe Wilhelm. Shout out to our patrons on Patreon. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at GMIWH podcast on all platforms. Check out our show notes for links to our sponsors. Support us by supporting them. Thanks for listening.
1: That's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You could put five on it at moments in weedhistory.com, and that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every weedness day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, aka Bean.